This episode of Left of Field is brought to you by Hail the Kale. Eat simple and wholesome food and your body will thank you. Their Super Bowls aim to create healthy, modern-day convenient food that looks as good as it tastes. It's Left of Field with Danny Kavanagh. Hello and welcome to the Left of Field podcast with Danny Kavanagh as usual. Now the year's wrapping up and a lot of your other podcasts might have come to an end. But no, 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 don't fear. The Left of Field podcast has plenty of content to keep you busy through the summer period. Now in this AFL trade period, there was a lot of chat about my next guest. Fremantle's Connor Blake. Now, he's an out-of-favour midfielder with the club, and there was plenty of interest from Fremantle in moving him on. But he will be remaining in purple in 2021. And today, he chats to me all about what his future looks like, how he got to where he was today through injuries, and I hope you enjoy it. So, let's go. Connor Blakely, welcome to the Left of Field podcast. How are you going today? I'm well, I'm well. Thank you for having me. No worries. I appreciate you giving up your time. Well, we'll just get straight into it. Pre-season, you're back on the track. How are you looking? Yeah, feeling pretty good. We had our first training session yesterday. So I was back with all the younger boys and um, with COVID and everything affecting basically everyone around the world, haven't been able to travel around the world as much as what I usually would throughout off-season. So it's been really nice just to hang around locally and do a few trips down south and down to Esperance and a few different things like that. So I thought, why not come back to the club earlier and come in and do the sessions with the young boys getting get out. And no, it's been pretty good. It's been a nice off-season, been able to do pretty much all of the program. And it was good to see all the boys and all the coaches and some of the new coaches yesterday, including Matty Boyd. So everyone's pretty up and about. We had a, a good finish to the end of last year. So Everyone's just looking forward to continuing that momentum on. A lot to unpack there, but let's start with, so you made the decision to come back early to start training your way kind of to prove yourself that you're wanting to get in that top 22 next season or are you saying that you weren't required yet? Yeah, I wasn't required. So once you've finished your, I think it's your fifth year at at the AFL level, um, you don't have to come in. Early, you can come in a couple of, usually a couple of weeks after the younger boys come back. This year, the older guys don't come back until the start of January. So it is a bit of a bigger layoff. I didn't really have any sort of intentions of like trying to prove myself or try and get back into the 22. I think it's it's a long way until the matches start and the pre-season matches and where you really start to get to prove yourself. But I thought from a, just purely from a training point of view, it's always much more beneficial and better to be training with boys from the footy club and to be with the coaches down at the club. And I thought with this little two-week period, albeit it's only short, you can still get a fair bit out of it. And a lot of the guys that are doing their sessions at the footy club now, I've, I've done sessions with them throughout the break, like Ethan Hughes, Adam Chera and a few other boys as well. So it is always nice to see the faces of the people around the club. And I think you just get a better quality session out of being down at the club because you are around the coaches, you are around other boys. And that level of intensity, even though it's not game intensity, it certainly is a bit better than what it would be if you were doing a session one-on-one or a session just by yourself. So, yeah, it was purely just from a 
a training point of view of lifting those standards. Yeah, great. Well, let's bring it back now and start at the beginning. Did you always dominate the sport as a junior? Did you know that this was going to be <laughs> the career path you took? No, I certainly wouldn't say I dominated. I actually played when I was playing down in Bunbury growing up. For whatever reason it was, I think I got into footy a little bit earlier than most guys my age, but I started playing footy a grade up, so I was playing with guys that were a year older than me. So I was really just struggling to keep my head above water at times. I think looking back, that actually helped me a fair bit. I had a, I still obviously have an older brother in Nathan who's played 70, 80 odd games for one district. So running around in the backyard and trying to keep up with him and all his mates. And then I think then transitioning into junior football down in Bunbury, I was again playing with and against guys that were a year older than me and they were a lot more developed and bigger. So I was, I was a little bit smaller. So I had to sort of work on the sort of skill side of things and learn how to read the game a bit quicker because I wasn't certainly the quickest or the strongest or the, the most talented player out there. So I think looking back, that certainly helps me and it certainly allowed me to form some very good friendships with older people over my childhood so far. Did you think you learnt the value of hard work then from a young age? Yeah, I think so. I think most professional athletes, we've got this luxury, I guess, of, of doing something that we really enjoy doing and that we really have enjoyed doing from a young age. I think when you get into sport when you're younger, you, you're really playing it for the pure love of the game and to then be able to do that as a job where you can live and get a pretty good income from it, it's a pretty fortunate sort of job to have. So, yeah, I think growing up, it was always about, you know, the pure love of it and just really enjoying being out there and competing and, and playing with your friends. And then, I guess, as you progress throughout the state teams and development squads and playing junior waffle carnivals and things like that, it starts to get a little bit more serious. But I think the true essence of enjoying my football has never left me and that being able to hold me in some really good stead to just take the hard work as something that is just a prerequisite if you want to keep evolving and getting better and getting as far as you can in your given discipline so pretty lucky to be able to as most professional athletes would agree with me is that you really do something that you really enjoy on a daily basis. You mentioned, yeah, enjoying what you do each day and waking up and that's kind of everyone's goal and no matter what career path they choose. Do you think that's something that the modern game of AFL has really taken on board, that you guys are seeing it as more of a job, looking at the financial and every part of it, treating your whole career as a job rather than playing your passion? I think that sort of the passion theory of, of jobs just in general, like I don't know whether or not it's something that is necessarily true. I think obviously like playing football and, and being able to do that when I was younger, it was, you have such a, a strong link to it and, and an enjoyment and things like that. But yeah, don't get me wrong, like every part of most jobs would have, have some things that aren't great about them. And when you're rolling out of bed for the first 2K time trial of pre-season, it's certainly not the most enjoyable experience. And I think most AFL players would agree with me that it's, um, it is a little bit difficult those mornings to get out and to try and perform well and those sorts of things because they are quite challenging and there's meetings involved where some people don't necessarily like those and like you said, it is certainly a job where you've got lots of different aspects to it and there are the, the good stuff and there are there are the not so great stuff a part of, of what you do but 
yeah, I think at the end of the day, the thing that keeps luring me back into football is the fact that you can keep finding ways to improve, finding ways to evolve and continue to get better with your game because it's the type of thing that if you're not progressing forward in the AFL world, then you certainly you are going backwards. And like we saw this year with the off-season, there was certainly a lot of changes and reduction in list sizes and things like that. So it's, it is pretty cutthroat and you've got to make the most of your opportunity while you can. So, well, yeah, most AFL players sort of agree with me in saying that, yes, it is something that we really enjoy doing, but at the same time, there are some difficult parts of it. And the, what comes with that is the scrutiny and and the ability for people to you know, be able to comment and judge you for your performances. But at the same time, we've got good resources in place and good coaches and and good, good teammates around us to keep everyone grounded and keep everyone in the right direction. So you were drafted at pick 34 in 2014, obviously being from WA and going to a WA club. Did you know that that was always going to happen? Did you know that that's where you would end up at the end of the draft? Or how many other interstate teams show some interest in you? Yeah, casting my mind back to the end of 2014, I had a pretty good indication that I was a, a pretty good chance to get picked up. I didn't know exactly where it was going to be. I didn't know what club it was going to be. I had a really good under-18s carnival, which definitely helped playing for WA. And then also I was able to play some senior footy for Swan Districts that year as well. So those two aspects really helped me progress forward with my career. I wasn't too sure. Obviously, I had a manager at the time. And I sit you down and say, OK, this club might be interested you might be going, I was told by my manager, I was in the range of anywhere from around about 15 to about 40 to go into the draft. So I knew it was it was nice knowing that, look, you're, you're more of a possibility or a good chance of getting drafted than not drafted, which settled the nerves a little bit. And then day of it, I was hoping to go sort of in the 20s or so. And then as soon as I got into the 30s, I thought, okay, I wouldn't mind getting picked up now. Don't really care where it is. And then pick 33 was Connor Menadieu who went to Richmond and I was sitting there with all my family and friends throughout my auntie's house in Sea Beach and they called out Connor. We've all gone up like up in high and then that's when Connor Menadieu and then luckily enough the next pick was me. So there were some nervous moments in that draft and leading up into it. But since I got picked up at Fremantle, I think looking back during that period, I was pretty eager to see if I were to live somewhere else, race that challenge of moving interstate and living somewhere else. But now looking back on it, it's been such a nice experience to be able to stay in Perth, live in this great state. Obviously, it wouldn't have it any other way. So you picked up by Frio and you in 2017, you played 17 really good waffle games that you were a star and then you did debut for the Dockers at the end of the season I think it's round 23 Mm -hmm. how was that experience like for you were you kind of feeling like you maybe should have debuted a bit earlier but the team was so strong that you were struggling to break into that yeah we had such a strong list as you said we had lots of the McFarlane's Duffield's Pavlich's Fifey obviously playing then and we had a really really strong list like Gary Gibson, Lee Spur, just all these really solid AFL players and I think like most sort of draftees you come into the system a little bit naive not really knowing especially when you get drafted to a strong club at the time how hard it is to break into the team and to play any games let alone a few games in a row and I put together quite a solid pre-season really really enjoyed adjusting to life 
in the AFL of working hard in pre-season and coming home and being knackered and napping and sleeping so much and then yeah put together some good pre-season games and I was really close to debuting in round one. Uh, I think it was against Port Adelaide at home, and that would have been an epic experience. But at the same time, things happen for a reason and wouldn't change anything for the world. And I had to really earn my stripes that year and then was able to play in the round 23 game against Port Adelaide over in Adelaide, which was a game where a fair few guys were rested leading into the finals. So even though that was my debut at the time I sort of regard the next year against Adelaide I think it was round six as my proper debut just through the fact it was more of a yeah, you're genuinely in for the reason of you've earned your spot and you're playing we want you to try and play for as long as possible and try and keep your spot in the team as opposed to sort of new the writing was on the wall with the round 23 game of 2015 where we were about to go into the final series where we'd finished on top of the ladder won the minor premiership and Ross was pretty much resting a few boys. Well, pretty much most of the out yeah, guns of the team at the time. So mm. yeah, it was a it was a great experience to have that carrot so close to me at the start of my career, but then at the same time not exactly get it, and then had to really toil hard in the waffle for that year to then get into the team by the end of the year. Do you think you and a lot of I? would say other players in the AFL suffer from being in the wrong place at the wrong time and things could have been different if you were at a different club? Yeah, most definitely. You see that a fair bit of guys that may have been at the wrong spot at the wrong time and on the flip side as well, guys being at the at the right spot at the right time. I look at a guy like a Sammy Collins who is obviously now at the Gold Coast Suns and won his first first and best, which is a great achievement for Sammy when he was at he was playing some really, really good footy down appeal. But we had such a, a strong back line in sort of Luke McFarlane and we had Michael Johnson, Alex Pierce when he's on the park and a few other players that and Zach Dawson even as well. I think you look at the position that you're in, you look at the the calibre of people around you and the depth of your spot and sometimes guys can just be in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Yet if that was somewhere else, you would be getting a lot more opportunities. I think that happens everywhere and in a lot of different sports and things like that. So you've got to create your own luck and sometimes it doesn't really fall your way. But I think Sammy Collins' story, sort of Mickey Barlow's, if you work hard enough and you work enough on your craft day in, day out, that regardless of where you are and regardless of where you get to, you're going to make the opportunities and you're going to get the opportunities. And then if you've worked really hard for it, then you're going to take it with both hands. So do you think you've fallen victim to this wrong place, wrong time across your career? No, definitely no regret. No regrets at all. I think I was truly, truly lucky to be picked up by Fremantle at the time and, and to still be on the list. Like, I, yeah, I've worked really hard to stay on the list. But also, I think, yeah, the wrong place, wrong time. I don't think I've been a victim of that. When you've got such, like I said before, you've got such high quality of players around you, especially in that first year. I think learning off those guys and, and training with those guys and really seeing how they go about it and then watching the amount of AFL games that I did that year held me in quite good stead going into that second and third year. And then it's funny how sort of things come around in circles and then this year in particular wasn't exactly the, the most successful year for myself in terms of games played and performances and things like that. But again, it was a really, a really good year in terms of learning and and working out, okay, what are the things really need to work on, get myself back into the team, where can I keep evolving and, and improving my leadership and just all these different aspects. So it's it's a constant 
sort of that growth mindset where whatever situation you're in, you're always going to learn something from it if you have the right attitude and your attitude is the one thing that you really can, really can control. Yeah, especially not only that, you've suffered a lot of injuries over your, I mean, there's the hamstring, mm. the shoulder, the hand. How have you dealt with that mentally and kept coming back and giving it another go? Yeah, they're obviously not deal and no one really goes out playing sport hoping to get injured. But I guess it's just one of those part and parcel things of such a physical sport that AFL players play that one way or another along your career, you're eventually going to get injured. And yeah, there certainly have been the difficulties and the struggles. I think the the hamstring line in particular, that sort of threw me around the most mentally. That was a tough tool to swallow just due to the fact it sort of happened right in the middle of pre-season. was really building the missing the second half of 2018 with the knee surgery that I had. So it was almost like a compounded injury where I was coming back from the knee they was all really good, felt good, putting together quite a strong pre-season. And then you get another setback and it, it's not just low-grade hamstring. It, you've torn the tendon, you're out for three months at least. And that was really difficult knowing that if you do the calculations, you're not going to be back until maybe around six, round seven, round eight, and then didn't return until sort of round, it was 10 or 11 that year. And you are being appreciative of every time you can go out there and play physically fit to be able to do that because... Yeah, having that perspective of being injured every now and then, it sort of reminds you to not get too far ahead of yourself and don't think that you are invincible because, unfortunately, these things do happen. And there have been a lot of guys that have been a lot worse off than me and then there's guys that have been a lot better off than me in terms of injuries. I've certainly learned a lot and learned a lot about my body and worked really closely with some really good medical staff at Fremantle and just learned a lot about things that you can do outside of football to really help your body and different things like Pilates and nutrition and just all the things that go into performing well week in, week out. What's the body conditioning like right now heading into the next season? Yeah, things are going pretty well. I had a bit of Achilles sort of tendonitis last year um, and managed to get on top of that really nicely during this off-season period and so I dabble in a bit of Pilates as well so I've got a really good instructor that I've been seeing for about a year or so and that's been super beneficial and it's been nice to link up with a few boys from the footy club this off season with everyone generally staying around the Perth area so yeah in terms of how the body's gone I'm feeling pretty good touch wood um, I'm sure there's going to be a solid pre-season ahead of us and it's a really exciting one with the new strength coach coming in Phil Merriman so who knows what the pre-season going to look like but it's all pretty exciting injured your hand and then wore a glove for the rest of that season and played pretty well. Do you reckon we could bring the glove back? <laughs> well, I've actually thought about that a couple of times. Really? Where, oh, played some really good footy towards the end of 2007. It might help with thing. selection as well. You know, we see that glove out <laughs> there. Eyes are drawn to it. I reckon the glove should come back, but I don't know, maybe. I think, I think what's stopping me now is due to the fact that within the AFL, I think you need like a medical reason to be wearing it. So Can't I had the reason a fashion statement. No. So I think, I think I was similar to like Aiden Clore at GWS. He had one for quite a while and then he stopped wearing it. I think it was because of that as well. So... The only times that you ever see anyone wearing them is because they have either a broken finger or something to do with their hand. So I might have to follow that up, though, with the club and see what I can do. Yeah, I think so. Now, you were yeah. regularly overlooked for the team in 2020. Yep. But you're a proven ball winner. So what do you reckon you struggled with last season? Yeah. Oh, it definitely was a, a difficult 
period and definitely frustrating when you know within yourself you are good enough to really help the team and really impact on a game and generally the feedback that I got from Josh Carr and Justin in particular was just that just that ball handling and the the decision making and execution under pressure just needs to lift to a better standard which at the time may or may not have really agreed with it but after looking back on things and reflecting and I've certainly worked pretty hard on those things throughout this off-season period and we'll continue to work pretty hard on those things to improve them. So there's a little bit of the, the skills and the execution and then also we had some young mids that were doing really, really well that started playing some of the best footies of their career so far, like the Andy Brayshaws and Adam Scherers and when Carl Strong came in and started impacting from the get-go, it was, it was pretty tight for positions and availability in that sort of spot. So hopefully can force my way back in and hold on to that spot. And, and at the same time, I've got a few different strings to my bowlers where I can play half-back, I can play midfield. There isn't just the one spot for me, so um, that ha- certainly helps as well. Today's episode of Left of Field is made possible by Hail the Kale. Delicious, nourish bowls delivered directly to your office or home. Made fresh with WA's finest and local ingredients, it's nourishment from the inside and out. I love how simple and convenient these Super Bowls are. Quite often, I really can't be bothered making my lunch, and this takes meal prepping to a whole new level, as the Hail the Kale crew will just make it for you. And with five bowls of pure goodness for just $50, there's no grocery stores, cooking, cleaning, or any hassle involved. It's a lunchtime win all around. And today, all my lovely listeners out there, you will receive 10% of your first order when you use the code Left of field 10. That's right, try maybe their winter warmer bundle with chicken or why not give my personal favourite vegan bundle a go. It's really yummy and you won't regret it. After all, healthy eating should be simple, quick and enjoyable. So Ross played you as more in defence and Longmere mm-hmm. is kind of seeing you more as a midfielder. Where do you think you're best suited to? Yeah, he certainly sees me as more of a midfielder. Ross is pretty open to playing me in those two sort of positions. I think I do play my best footy in the midfield, but then at the same time, um, I certainly adapted to that role at halfback fairly well. So, yeah, it's the type of thing where you sort of add a couple of different strings to your bow and I can see myself playing some good footy and I have played some pretty good footy in the past at either end of the field and midfield and things like that. So it doesn't necessarily really phase me where I'm playing the type of thing where like I remember Ross saying to me early on look mate you can you can either tag or you can play for peel what would you rather do and I'm like I'd definitely rather tag and be playing in the ones than playing down at peel so that's the sort of mentality that I definitely have. Yeah you obviously had experience both the coaches what are the difference between Ross and Longmere? Oh so yeah, it's a tough question. Ross was a, a very intellectual, high footy IQ man who analysed the game and had this innate ability of just being able to remember certain things that happen at certain times throughout games. So he was, he was very much a student of the game who was tactically pretty sound and very good at managing groups in general. JL is a lot more cool, calm and collected and very sort of measured and He's quite strategic as well. He's quite a good coach in terms of being able to give quite a simple message to the playing group and giving us the right tools to then implement it and then 
be able to review and reflect on what we're doing. And I think with JL in particular, we've stuck to our brand more so than than in the past. We've been able to adjust a little bit to what the opposition gives you each week, but then not going away too much from what you want to bring to the table as a team um, and as a collective. And JL is very much about empowering the individual to bring sort of, he calls it like your, your, your best self. And whether or not that's, you're going to take big marks or you're going to bring your speed or you're going to bring your inside ball winning ability to the game, just bring your own strength. So he is someone that very much, very much encourages that. Do you reckon you struggled to make the team with Ross as well? I hate it. heard he didn't like beards and you rocked a pretty big beard for a while. <laughs> Do you reckon that was made you struggle? <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. But I know, yeah, I certainly know that early days Ross was pretty tough on those sort of standards, wanted everyone to, well, in particular the coaching staff, made sure that they were all clean shaved and all looking prim and proper. And I think Ryan Crowley had a pretty big beard at the time and also and Clancy Pierce did as well and I heard down the grapevine when I started going the beard out a little bit they said young fella pull your head in a little bit here mate because you want to give yourself every chance to get a game but Ross made a couple of cheeky comments throughout the time but I don't think he was ever too serious with those but he wasn't too much of a fan of the beards and I don't think you've ever seen Ross rocking one in his life before. No now along with two really good coaches you've also played alongside some exceptional players you've got you know your fifes and your mundies who have been around now for a while and who are still playing and you've had ballantyne and pavlich who the club has really inspired you and are they all as good as we think they are it's an interesting one where once you're around players and people pretty much on a daily basis for this is my seventh year now that aura and that amazement of being around these people certainly diminishes like i remember first turning up to the club and, and seeing Pav for the first time and seeing Fifey and Dave Mundy and thinking, this is unbelievable. Like seeing Sandy for the first time and he's, what is he, two, two metres, mm-hmm. 211 centimetres and just seeing this ginormous man and thinking, I'm never going to get used to this. And it's funny how over a sort of a longer period of time you start to get quite used to to those people being around you. And I think that although amazing footballers, Dave Mundy or Australian First and best winner, Fifey, Jewel, Brownlow medalist, Sandy, Pav, all these guys that have carved out amazing careers. I think the thing that sticks out to me in particular with all those guys, which I take a little bit from all of them, like there's not one that's had sort of biggest impact on me as a player, but when I reflect and look back on Dave and I look back on Fifey and Pav and Luke McFarlane and even Lockie Neal as well in winning the Brownlow this year with Brizzy, all these guys had such a strong work ethic and a dedication to craft and to their task and what they needed to get better on and what were their strengths and things like that. And it was it was unwavering. Like they, I knew how to you just around the boys and you're having a laugh to let the hair down and have a laugh. But they had this ability and they still still do have this ability that when it comes time to work on something or to train quite hard and with intense and with direction and being intentional about it they all tick those boxes and that's like such a common theme throughout all these really high-end players is that when they are working it's really intentional there's there's no distraction it's all go 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 and then they have that ability to then switch off at the right time as well so it's quite a quite a tough balance to hit but it takes a lot of years of dedicated practice to be able to get to that state 
Now, there was a lot of chat in the off-season that you might be going for a trade out of the Frio Dockers. How close did you get? Because we do know now that obviously you stayed. How close were, yeah. did you come to moving interstate or to another club? Yeah, in all honesty, I, I don't think it was really super close at any point in time. Obviously, with the frustration of not being able to play too much this year, yeah, there is a little bit of frustration, things like that, and you do keep in contact with your management throughout the year, good, bad, or whatsoever. And I remember sitting down with the club at the end of the year, and we had the end of season review, and that went all like as well as what you thought it would sort of go. Like it was a frustrating year, but I certainly learnt a lot from that year. And was open to staying, was open to going if something could be facilitated. But I knew at the end of the day, if I were to stay or if I were to go, it's almost like a win-win sort of situation for myself. I know that I'm quite settled over here in WA and in Perth and completely happy to stay at the club that I've been with since um, I first got drafted. But then at the same time, if something were to be facilitated, then if the club were happy to work through with both parties and I were to be happy with it, my management were to be happy with it, then we'd go ahead with it. But yeah, there wasn't really too much interest. I think it was just a, a byproduct of the type of year that we had and how it was obviously a, a small year. There was, with those practice games, there wasn't really too much exposure to them and there weren't really too many trades in total. So there wasn't really the sort of the amount of supply that there usually is in terms of the ability to be able to make as many trades as what there has been in the past. And from that, like, I'm super happy to be staying. Being from WA, what is that Eagles-Dockers rivalry like? Is it real? Do you think there's also an Eagles bias in town? Yeah, the rivalry is an interesting one. Like, there seems to be a little bit of extra feeling, potentially at the start of games when we do have the derbies, but it is definitely manufactured from the fans on the outside. We tend to speak about it in the week leading up to the derby and speak about the rivalry and the history and all those sorts of things. But, yeah, it's pretty clear as soon as there's a couple of minutes that have gone in the game and everyone's quite sort of fatigued and the game started, it's really just another game of football. So it's more of a, an exciting thing for fans to experience and for them to have a bit of banter amongst their mates and their family and, and things like that. So I think it is definitely manufactured from outside the four walls of footy clubs. And look, from the, the bias of the Eagles' point of view, yeah, I don't know I don't know if I'm really in a position to comment on that because I do live down in, in Frio, in East Frio, and there certainly are a lot more Fremantle supporters down here. So I'd have to say from my point of view, where I'm from, there's a, there's a bit of a bias towards the Fremantle. Crew. Now, who is Connor Blakely away from the footy field? I know you've studied economics. Is that something you want yeah. to pursue post-footy career? Yeah, potentially. I've, I've got a couple more units left of my undergraduate. That's ticking along pretty nicely. I'm potentially going to start going into the teaching world and do a Master's of Teaching in sort of high school. So thinking of delving into that, which is pretty exciting as well so that's yeah that's all ticking along quite nicely doubled in a bit of health economics at uwa this year as well that's pretty interesting especially with obviously the state of the world with covid and everything that has happened and how it's such a an important thing and such a topic of conversation that really interested me this semester and then i guess just outside of footy i'm a pretty pretty laid back sort of easygoing guy that i just really enjoy 
being around my friends and family and I don't mind going down south for a surf and surfing in and around Perth and yeah, really passionate about that pursuit. Bit of an APL fan as well. Jumped on the uh the Leeds Leeds United bandwagon after they made it into the APL this year and a bit of a cricket nuffy as well. So very much a, a sporting sporting person who enjoys seeing people compete and seeing people play at the highest level in whatever discipline it is. You mentioned being an avid surfer and heading down south. There was one controversial time during your injury where you did head down south. What were your decisions behind that? And was it as big as the media made it? Yeah, it certainly was nowhere near as big as what the media had made it to be. And it's something that I do get reminded of every now and then. So thanks for that. But <laughs> that all could. Did you no, learn from that mistake? Was it just a bit of a slip up? Oh, I definitely learned a lot from it, yeah. it was. I think it was just lack of awareness or a lack of communication and knowing that perception is reality in a way and, and just being able to assess the situation and know that I went home early that day after coming down with a bit of a sickness and <laughs> we had the day off the next day and I was always going down south that night to stay with mum and dad and then I decided to go down and surf the next day because I was feeling a little bit better and basically the leadership group thought that that was an ideal preparation for an AFL game, which I, I disagreed with at the time and sort of thought that the punishment didn't really match to the, to what I'd done. But at the same time, like it, it happened and I did learn a bit from it, just knowing, okay, what are the what's the perception of this going to be? How's some people going to take this? And how is this going to impact on the perception of the club or the playing group if something were to happen? So from that really good learning experience sort of built strong relationships with a few guys that weren't necessarily as strong at the time because of the disagreement but then you you move on from it you you talk it out and then you become stronger for it and that certainly is what happened with me and yeah again like I said with a lot of the things on this podcast that don't necessarily have any regrets and it's certainly something that I've, I've learned a lot from. No, that's really good. You've taken a mature approach to that. And I know I don't think you'd be doing something like that again. I, I do like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast a motto they like to live their life by. Do you have any words of wisdom for the listeners? I'm not a huge motto man, but there is one that has always stuck out. It's quite a famous quote. I think a lot of people are big fans of this quote and like to remind themselves of it. But it's a quote by Victor Frankl, who wrote quite a famous book, A Man's Search for Meaning, about his experiences during the Holocaust. And basically what it was was sort of paraphrasing here, but it's everything can be taken from a man, but one thing which is the last of human freedoms, choose one's attitude, any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. So basically from that, if I were to put it into my own words, it's regardless of whatever situation you're in, good, bad, whatever, the one thing that you can control and the one thing that can't be taken from you as a person, the one thing that you can control is your own attitude with things. That's something that's, when I read it at the time, probably a couple of years ago, it really stuck out to me and that's definitely the one quote that I do enjoy. Thank you for chatting to me today. I really do hope that we get to see you playing a full season next year. So good luck with your pre-season training, quickly, how are the Dockers going to go and who's going to be a star? You've seen the young kids first up. Who can you give the fans a little bit of hope? 
Yeah, thanks, Ali. Thanks for having me. Enjoy this chat. Yeah, we had a, a pretty good building sort of year last year, I think, especially under jail for the first year. We somewhat exceeded expectations of what the public had of us. I think this year now, more than ever, we've got the, the sort of expectation of making finals. We know that we are good enough to play finals, and that's definitely the aim. A younger guy that has really impressed me, like you've got the you've got the Hayden Youngs and the Caleb Sarongs and those guys that, in particular, Caleb played some really, really good footy last year and won the, the NAB Rising Star, which is a great achievement for him. I think the one that is ready to explode, who's had a couple of years of bit of a hard run with injuries is Sam Switkowski, someone that a lot of power is very explosive, is is very smart around the goals and I think there's this nice opportunity for him that's opened up with Brandon Matera finishing up and Ballard's finishing up a couple of years ago. But he's one guy that is definitely getting his body in shape and intact. Wow. Good luck and uh, good luck to the side. Hopefully there'll be some, some wins. Thanks for chatting. Thank you, Daniel. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Connor, and I hope you guys all enjoyed that episode. Maybe if you're a massive Fremantle Dockers fan, you could go back and listen to Michael Barlow or Michael Frederick. I've chatted to both of them previously, an ex-player and an up-and-comer. Otherwise, there's plenty of other sports and interesting talent to keep you busy. So why not go back and have a listen? You won't regret it. I promise. Anyway, I'll be back again next week, so stay tuned for more Left of Field.